From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Mullady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Thursday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. If you've got a question for Father Brian Mullady, the number to call is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. And you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at EWTN.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky, Jeff Burson on our social media side. Uh, So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And not live in studio with us this week, but continuing his gallivanting is our host, Father Brian Mullady. And you, you look like you're like back in Cali. No, actually, I'm coming to you from Holy Family Church and the Mercedarian Fathers in Columbus, Ohio. That's where I recognize the room from. You've been there before. <laughs> so it's a very special anyway. yeah, very special feast day today, the feast of Saints Peter and Paul. Uh, there was an article that came across my email this morning about why do Peter and Paul share a feast day. I didn't read the article, but they are uniquely linked, are they not? Oh, yes. And uh, it's somewhat connected to the dedication of the St. Peter's and also St. Paul's outside the walls. But basically, they share a feast day because, you know, they're among the primary apostles and authorities of our church in its initiation. And they were both martyrs, both martyred in Rome. And, of course, Peter represents the mission of the church to the Jews. And Paul represents the mission of the church to the Gentiles. And so between the two of them, they represent the mission of our church and also the authority of our church to the whole world. And it's such a beautiful feast day to see that our church was basically begun also by someone who was a fisherman on the one hand and someone who on the other hand was a doctor of the law, basically. Uh, He was a follower of a particular rabbinical school and Paul is so interesting too because in addition to being a very uh, you know important Jew he was also a citizen of the Roman Empire which of course is what eventually led to his death because he appealed to the emperor and the emperor changed as several rulers will do 
And so he was uh, martyred as a result. But in both of them, we see the gospel from a, a, sense, a sort of different light. Because Peter is dealing with it from the point of view of the Jews that lived constantly in, uh, well, we used to call it Palestine and Israel. But Paul represents another tradition. His tradition, as you remember, he went through Damascus when he had his famous experience of being um, Christ being revealed to him out of the body without physical representation on the road to Damascus. And he there encountered the traditions and the manner of relating to the Messiah that was present, and some people believe, in the Magi, because they went through Petra, you know, which was in basically people. That's that thing in uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, that temple in the valley, where um, they experienced a tradition of the Jews who had taken refuge after the destruction of Jerusalem. And so their development of their understanding of the truth of the scriptures was compatible, I would say, and complementary, but somewhat different. And that's why you'll find different themes in St. Paul that you don't exactly find in the same specific way in the synoptic gospels. And so what you have here is an excellent example of the universality of the church that it isn't just related to one particular culture, albeit that the original culture was uh, based in the scriptures and it was formed by the Jews, but that that encompasses also other peoples. And you can see this, for example, in Pentecost, where all the Jews from the diaspora are coming to celebrate Passover, and they, you know, hear the disciples speak in their own languages, reversing Babel to um, a spiritual language, a higher language. Also, it's interesting in the crucifixion that they were also celebrating Passover. Uh, people were coming to celebrate Passover then. And uh, all of them passed by the spot of the crucifixion. And all of them, all in their own languages and in their own way, uh, basically taunted Christ, come down from the cross and will believe in you, along with the chief priests. So on this particular feast, we have a celebration of the original authorities in our church, those authorities which, uh, whose faith is the formation of our unity of faith, Authorities which transcend a certain culture, even the Mediterranean world. And we also have authorities who teach to us the truth. And all these wonderful things all come together in their martyrdom, where they offer their lives principally for Christ, whom, whom they believe. Um, when I lived in Rome, people used to say, oh, well, we're the... Church of the Apostles and Martyrs, that's what gives us primacy 
I said, well, that's true, but remember who killed the first martyrs? It was you, <laughs> you people. <laughs> you know, it was the Romans. So uh, it, it, it's a feast day that transcends all kinds of different aspects of the Catholic religion. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is 1-205-271-271. 2985 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1 205 271 2985. Big congratulations going out to two more members of the EWTN radio family today. Armor of God Catholic Radio in Kempner, Texas is celebrating their fifth year with us. And Red Sea Radio, also in the Republic of Texas, um, with four stations, uh, started out in College Station and has uh, have a station in Waco and a couple of others, 13 years as an affiliate of EWTN Radio. So congratulations to our friends at Armor of God Radio and Red Sea Radio from all of us here at EWTN Radio. Again, the numbers to be on the program, toll-free, anywhere in the United States and Canada, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. We've got two open lines for you at this this moment. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love for you to give us a call. That number again is 1-205-271-271. 2985, and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1205-271-2985. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Edward in Pennsylvania, Jeff in Ontario, and uh, Margaret in Atlanta, Georgia, and we've got plenty of time for your calls as well. 833-288-EWTN, that's 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Dominican Father Brian Mullady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. As we've mentioned, today is the Solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul, but you can be reminded of their faith and service to Christ all year long with a beautiful set of two bookends available at EWTN's Religious Catalog. The bookends feature a cold-cast bronze figure of St. Peter on the right and St. Paul on the left, mounted on black stained wood bookends. Each one's about five inches wide and nine and a half inches high. 
You can visit EWTNRC.com to take a, a peek at these beautiful pieces. And they're available, as we said, at EWTN's religious catalog. That's EWTNRC.com. They're offering free standard shipping on online orders of $75 or more. That's standard shipping in the continental U.S. only. Use the code FREE at checkout. Still two open lines for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. First up today is Edward, a first-time caller in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, listening on JMJ Radio. Edward, you're on with Father Milady. Thank you, Father. I have a question about uh, uh, whether Jesus, after his death and resurrection, uh, if he uh, possessed both divine and human characteristics or only divine before the ascension? Well, he has to have human characteristics because it has a human body, but it's a human body that's formed to reflect his soul, whereas that's not true while we're on earth. And so, as you know, the apostles, when he first appeared to them, thought he was a ghost. And he said, no, 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 it's really me. And he proves that by the fact that he eats a piece of fish. So he certainly has a human body. And also, even though he could pass through walls, he still um, exhibits the characteristics of flesh. But it's a sanctified flesh, and it's a flesh which reflects, again, the uh, union of his soul with God. Now, in in, uh, the dam's case, um, they also have a fleshly body, but because they don't reflect the characteristics of God, because they didn't, uh, weren't saved, uh, their body is heavy and dark and painful. And in fact, as you know, there's some a lot of discussion about this throughout the centuries. But if there is some kind of physical punishment in hell, like fire, certainly those people have experience uh, of uh, being human also. So yes, Christ has a human nature but it's a human nature that's formed with a different relationship between the soul and the body. And on earth, our body is the primary thing and our soul comes to exist after the manner of the body. So that's why we have to have sensible knowledge in order to have intellectual knowledge. But in heaven, it's just the opposite. In heaven, whatever the soul experiences, the body experiences too. And that even though, again, Christ's body can pass through walls, he still eats a piece of fish. And he uh, has agility, which means to say that all he has to do is think he'd be in another place, like from Jerusalem to Galilee, and he'll, he'll go there. But still, it's a human body for sure. In fact, all, you'll also see, remember, when he appears in the upper room, he invites them to put their, their fingers in the nail prints and in his side. 
marking the part of the wounds. So if it was, if he wasn't man, he couldn't have wounds still that remain. Now, of course, they're glorious wounds because they represent his triumph over sin and death. But those glorious wounds remain even in the book of Revelation. You can see that the uh, Son of Man appears with the glorious wounds. Does that help, Edward? Very much so. God bless you. We appreciate the phone call today. That frees up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. We head now to Elmira, Ontario, Canada. Jeff is another first-time caller listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Jeff, you are on with Father Milady. Hello. I'm just wondering if watching horror movies is a sin. Well, I think it depends on the horror movie. <laughs> uh, certainly some of the most uh, wonderful black and white movies are horror movies like Frankenstein and Dracula and the Wolfman uh, with the uh, famous actors that play in those roles and things like that. And um, even in modern times, there are some very uh, good ones. But if... Uh, all you're doing is watching it because of the blood and you want to get blood drunk or something, then I, I would say that that probably would be a venial sin. But um, generally speaking, it wouldn't be a sin. But there are certain movies that it would, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, for instance, that it probably wouldn't be a good thing to watch morally. Again, though, if it were a sin, it would seem to me it's about a slight matter. It's not about a grave matter. And so I would say it would be a venial sin. So you'd probably want to stay away from things that were a direct attack on the faith or something like that? Yeah. Um, yeah cause some of those things are... Uh, it, it's one thing to, to uh, portray an exorcism. It's another thing to portray... Uh, you know, a nun plotting to murder someone in sacrilegious way or having demon worship or something like that. Yeah. A lot depends on and today, especially. Because, you know, before they had a production code, so they wouldn't have allowed anything like that to be shown. So, you know, the older movies before the 60s are pretty good. Even the space movies are really good. And the space trilogies are good. Or, or the Star Trek or you know, uh, uh, Star Wars. Although Star Wars, as you know, is uh, an attempt by George Lucas to introduce Buddhist ideas into the West. Because uh, Lucas told not to think. There's a force which is impersonal, which is portrayed as God. Um, Yoda is a Zen master, and he just says, go with the force, don't think. In other words, no creeds. No no uh, intelligence to your religion at all. Uh, you just basically lose your personality to this impersonal force. God bless you, Jeff. We appreciate that call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Pick up the phone and give us a call at 833-288-3986. Uh, next up is Margaret in Atlanta, Georgia, and she is listening to us today on The Quest. Margaret, thanks so much for holding. Welcome to the program. 
Thank you. Um, I love this show. It's, it's great. Um, my question is, uh, the parish I attend here um, is wonderful, but um, I've always wondered, the, the, the crucifix is not above the altar. It's to the left, and to the left of St. Joseph, so it's not even around the altar. It's kind of on the left side of the church, and um, the Eucharist is actually reposed in the Adoration Chapel, so it's not it's not on the altar either. But um, it kind of bothers me that, that the crucifix is not there, present in front of us above the altar. Um, so I wondered what your thoughts were on that. Well, it should bother you, because both the crucifix and the Eucharist are to be at least in the sanctuary, because the whole purpose of the crucifix being there is to remind us that the Mass is a sacrifice. That's its primary purpose. Um, now, of course, the churches that were built, some of them in the 70s or 80s, it's very difficult to modify them. And, of course, also, you know, I don't know if you know much about parish politics, but when somebody gives something and you try to take it out, <laughs> it can be quite compromising. I know one parish where they have the risen Jesus, pastor calls him touchdown Jesus. <laughs> and uh, he's tried to replace it with the crucifix and been a revolution in the parish. So it is such and such gave it. Oh, gosh. So um, his solution was to put the crucifix up during Lent, but not the rest of the time. So touchdown, Jesus reigns supreme for the rest of the time, but at least the crucifix is up during Lent. Now, this may have changed. I went to that parish about 15 years ago. And another parish, I, uh, yeah, I was surprised to discover that they had this lifetime-size crucifix and, of course, the sacrament in the sanctuary. But I noticed there was this risen Jesus out in the vestibule, you know, the narthex where they come in. So I said to the pastor, is that where you put the uh, risen Jesus that was donated so at least it would be in the church? And he says, uh-huh. <laughs> at least they can't say it's not here. We didn't exactly take it out. We just moved its position. So the, the purpose of it all, of course, is well, in the case of the Eucharist, is to emphasize the nature of transubstantiation. And uh, people today, there was a whole movement back in the 80s and 90s where they took the tabernacles out and put it in a separate place. And there were two arguments given for this, one of which is that in Europe, in a number of these huge cathedrals, you'll find the most separate chapel. That's because those huge cathedrals are museums, in a sense. I mean, you know, there are people, tourists walking through there all the time, taking pictures, uh, you know, looking at the beautiful architecture. Most of our churches are not quite of that order. And the, the second purpose was that somehow they thought that Jesus was confused by his presence on the altar and in the tabernacle. He's not confused, you know. He knows the difference. And I remember one place I was in, 
I was so thrilled about it, they were going to put the tabernacle back in the middle, but then they created this thing they called the tabernacle ark. And what they did was they put a hole in the wall. They put the tabernacle there, and then they put these gates in front of it that you open during mass. So I used to just walk in and say, open the doors, open the doors. Christ is not confused. 833-288-EWTN. It's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. All right, we're going to talk to Michael in Cincinnati, Ohio in just a moment. Pick up the phone and grab one of these open lines at 833-288-EWTN. Still plenty of time for your phone calls. Pick up the phone and give us a call at 833-288-3986. As advertised, we head to the Queen City, Cincinnati, Ohio. Michael is listening on the Sacred Heart Radio app. Michael, thanks so much for holding. You're on with Father Milady. Yes, th- thanks, Jack and Father Brian. <laughs> Happy Feast of St. Paul and Peter. And Same with here. that, thank you. I'm always intrigued with the book of Romans, especially chapter 11, when it seems that St. Paul, as our Hebrew apostle, is forming us Gentiles being sent out, you know, from the council at. Jerusalem to get us to be wild branches grafted into the olive tree of Israel. But there's something about protocol that I don't know that we Catholics that really link our apostolic succession to more of the Gentile transfer at that time really understand what was Jesus saying that salvation is of the Jews. Could you get more clarity? Like Paul says, when the Jews do come back to faith and they're the natural branches grafted back in, it'll be life for the whole world. So I feel like there's this yeah. kind of priority or anticipation for us to really pursue our Jewish elder brothers, that they have the gift of the memory of the Holy Spirit for us to really come into a greater fullness. Bye. Well, uh, salvation is obviously from the Jews because most of the apostles that evangelized the Gentiles were Jewish. And the whole thing is based on the Jewish scripture. And also Christ himself was a Jew, a practicing Jew. And they believed, remember, we, we don't denigrate the old law. The old law, the Old Testament is essential as a preparation for the gospel and also to understanding the New Testament. Now, regarding the famous difficulty of the, well, basically the apostasy of the Jews, Paul was trying to make sense of that because he is is a Jew. And uh, he decided that it was another case of God bringing good out of evil. That had the Jews not rejected Christ, there would have been little room for the Gentiles to consider Christ. So their rejection was the doorway to the Gentiles entering, and that eventually they themselves will uh, return to what their own scriptures point out to them. Now, you know, they've been waiting for 2,000 years for the Messiah, 
and and yet it's pretty obvious that Christianity is the successor of Judaism. The big stumbling blocks is that Christ is God. But all the customs, all the laws, everything are fulfilled in him. That's especially true of the liturgical law, the sacrifices in the temple. In fact, when the Epistles of the Hebrews was written, its whole context was uh, the Yom Kippur, you know, the Day of Atonement. And uh, Christ is the high priest in that Day of Atonement. And that atonement is once and for all. So, in trying to make sense out of the fact that the law prepared us to receive Jesus, but the very people prepared, as you know, John says he came unto his own, and his own did not receive it. But to all who did receive it, he gave power. To make sense out of that, St. Paul maintains that eventually, because the Jews are the natural branch, that uh, in the salvation of the world, they will return uh, to the final fulfillment of their faith, and it will be obvious to them what that is. Um, I've had a number of Jewish friends, and uh, many of them have told me that if they convert to Christianity, it will be to Catholicism, because it's very obvious to them that the temple worship is exemplified in the mass, synagogue worship is carried through and perfected in the mass. But they have the stumbling block of accepting Christ as God. That's something they find it very difficult to do. And of course, not everybody. As you know, Jesus did make a number of Jewish converts. Uh, and and the whole idea is that a person who really follows through on the law on what it means to be a Jew uh, will be converted, will be Christian. It's one of the reasons why when they used to have pogroms, you know, ethnic cleansing things of the Jews of the Middle Ages, and, and also during the Crusades, that the Jews all took refuge in the bishop's palace because the Catholic bishops defended them against their own faithful because they said, well, look, they're, they're going to convert. We can't take them, kill them. I mean, obviously, they're eventually going to convert, and we're flying in the face of divine providence to suggest that they're not. And also, it's important for us to realize, and Pius XII said this during the Second World War, that we're all spiritual Semites. Because, uh, you know, I come from an Irish extraction partially and a German extraction partially. And my faith bears almost no resemblance to the faith of my ethnic group. Whereas it bears a great deal of resemblance to Judaism because uh, I accept the temple worship as a necessary stage. I accept the Old Testament as revealed to us by Moses. I accept 
uh, sacrifices of bulls and goats is a necessary stage. I also accept the prophets and also the Messiah as the suffering servant. None of those things are accepted by pagans. As something they have to convert to accept it. So I think that's what the uh, meaning of it is. Thanks, Michael. We appreciate the call today. Still a couple of open lines. We've got plenty of time for your calls at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Josie is in Ann Arbor, Michigan, listening on Ave Maria Radio. Josie, you are on with Father Brian Milady. Hello. I have, the quick question I have is when somebody of a different faith says that they will pray for me or members of my family, my dad is in the hospital, for example, and a Muslim friend said, I will pray for your dad, how do I take that? Because their God is not my God. Well, um, but, but you see, they have the intention to, you know, offer worship um, for you and for your good. Now, the God might not be totally the same as us, but for that part of it that is, <laughs> you know, and it depends on how close you are to Catholicism. Some religions are very close, other religions are. I don't think any prayers are really wasted as far as the intention of the prayer is concerned. Um, I would think that in that case, our Lord would uh, take their good desires for you and use that as the means to uh, help you. Um, he understands that some of them are ignorant and foolish, but they have a good intention. Thanks, Josie, for the phone call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. We got an email from Jim, and he said, My wife was just diagnosed with a disorder, and the treatment can cause fatal disorders in fetuses if she were to get pregnant again. Can we use contraception? I would say no. Uh, that's one of those sad examples where, you know, you have to surrender having a child and also having sex because it might threaten your lives. Um, so there's, there's no real means, even therapeutic means, to use contraception. Uh, there are examples in which contraception can be used, especially if it involves the pill. Uh, at least people used to say, now of course this changes with medical science, that if a teenage girl who's a virgin doesn't have sex, has a regular period, they could use the pill, not in its contraceptive character because they're not having sex but as a means to regulate their period, in which case it would be only a medicinal means. But if it touches on the ability of the sexual act to result in a child, in other words, you're having sex when you do it, 
that um, you can't use. And all those things are nuanced very nicely by the National Catholic Bioethics Center, Jim, or anyone else who's listening in this situation. And you can find, right. yeah, you can find them at NCB Center, ncbcenter.org. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Marion says, I often offer indulgences for my beloved dad. I have heard that purgatory is a burning encounter with Christ. How do my prayers help them if Christ is already making them pure? Well, I I, I don't quite follow the the idea, which is a modern idea, partially gained from German theologians, that purgatory is an encounter with Christ. I had a big argument with my a sister friend of mine about that. She said, it's not a process, it's just an encounter. And I said, well, yeah, but I mean, what is an encounter except a process where you're getting to know somebody better? Um, the traditional idea is, and I just state that, that there are temporal punishment due to our sins. Not eternal punishment, because God's opened heaven to us. But for example, if we were to have a dear friend and in a rage, we broke up one of their prized possessions and we asked our friend for forgiveness and our friend was a particularly merciful person that, and they forgave us, then we're all right with them. The problem is there's two things that remain to be satisfied for. One is that the possession, let's say it's a car or a dress or something, depending on what area, is broken up still. It has to be somehow repaired. And the second, you're going to be in good faith now. And the second is the disordered anger that led you to be so um, unloving towards your friend. That needs to be satisfied for too. Now, on earth, we can do this by our positive actions but not after death. After death, our, our purgation is all passive. It's something we suffer. Now, I suppose Jesus performs it, but we can't further the process along by helping out. However, our friends can help us through the application of Christ's infinite merit from his love when he died on the cross for us. And when we invoke this help, it's called an indulgence, and we encourage the process along. And of course, if indulgence is plenary, then we're immediately resolved in this temporal punishment, and we can immediately go to heaven. A person who dies in the state of the purgatory is already destined for heaven. It's just the question of how how much integrity they're going to have, which means how much they'll be able to enjoy it. And we want to enjoy it as much as possible. So basically, the soul, God is satisfied when the soul is satisfied that they are, well, you know, clean enough or pure enough or loving enough to be able to truly enjoy God 
without thinking about all these things, or right? still having something horrible over their heads. I usually tell people, give the example, suppose you were told you had you could have dinner with Elvis tomorrow night, he was coming back from the dead. Well, would you just go there unprepared? No, all the people would dress up and they'd, oh my goodness, all the preparation that would go into it. Well, it's a similar thing with Elvis. Be sure to join us for Word on Fire this Sunday afternoon, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Bishop Barron welcomes Dominican Father Paul Murray. They'll talk about poetry, beauty, and the shock of grace. That's Word on Fire Sunday afternoon, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio. Laura is in New Orleans listening on Catholic Community Radio today. Laura, you're on with Father Milady. Hi. Actually, it's Rebecca, but that's okay. Um... I have I have a question. Several years ago, I worked with a man who was just very steeped in perversion, all different types of perversion, and he wore this bracelet with all kind of different medals and things on it. And we were talking one day, and he was telling me how open-minded he is, and I gave him a, a blessed Saint Benedict medal. I asked him. I said, "Well, if you have all of that, would you be willing to accept this from me?" And I gave him a blessed St. Benedict medal, and he came back to me. I was thinking it would help him possibly, you know. And he came back to me several weeks later, and he said, Oh, Rebecca, you know that that amulet you gave me? And amulet was his word, not mine. I said, yes. He said, well, I'll put it on, and I was, I've been wearing it, but it keeps falling off. So I can't wear it anymore. <laughs> And I've wondered ever since then, was that the right thing to do, or was I tossing pearls before swine? Well, I mean, <laughs> if you have his good in mind, and you're trying to uh, get rid of the other stuff, you did, you did the best you could. You tried something, and it didn't work. But it didn't work partially, because he misinterpreted what it was. He thought it was an amulet like all his other stuff, which is basically an attempt to influence, uh, well, demonic powers with uh, uh, ask of things of them that only God could give. That's why it's contrary to the virtue of religion. But no, I think you have, again, had the right idea, the right intention, uh, but you found out exactly and if I could give it, get it to him again, I think then he might be casting pearls before swine because you know that he doesn't believe in it and doesn't want to believe in it. So why, you know, beat a dead horse? But instead, uh, your initial intention, initially giving it to him was good, and you saw the fruits of it, which were very interesting. God bless you, Rebecca. Thanks so much for the phone call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Rose is in San Antonio, Texas, listening on Guadalupe Radio. Rose, welcome to the program. Hi, how are you? Terrific. What Thank can we do for you? For you? Oh, you're very welcome. What can we do for you? Uh, um, I was wondering, earlier you were talking about the tabernacle with the Holy Eucharist and about keeping the doors open. Um, this is kind of similar to I was I always heard that when you're in adoration 
okay, the door's open, but if you leave and nobody else is there viewing, that you should close the doors to it? Uh, the doors the I'm speaking of are not on the tabernacle. They're between the tabernacle and the altar. They're second doors. They're not doors in the tabernacle itself. So where, the host, is, where the host is actually displayed, they have doors there. So when nobody's viewing, the doors should be closed, right? I understand, but that's not what I was talking about. I was talking about a further set of doors that covers the whole tabernacle. Because Jesus, again, is, is confused by his presence. You're talking about apples and oranges here. Yes, uh, the monstrance is a special experience to see the sacrament exposed. And there should be someone there praying. Uh, if there isn't, then and in the manner in which you do exposition, because some tabernacles are built this way, is that you just open doors on the tabernacle so you can see the monstrance, maybe a little, a little one even. A lot of parishes do this. Then if you leave, it, they should be closed. You're right. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a, third, a second set of doors that's in front of the tower, the whole tabernacle. God bless you, Rose. Thanks so much for the phone call. 833-288-EWTN is our uh, toll-free number. We've got an email from Joe. He says, recreational marijuana is legal in a lot of U.S. states now. What is the moral responsibility here, and what would it mean for someone who wanted to try it? Well, abortion is legal in a lot of states now, too. Uh, that doesn't mean it's a good thing. You should try it. Uh, the only context I can see is many drugs. I'm not know about marijuana exactly. I've always been very nervous about it because I've seen stoners you know, among teenagers and some who've actually lost their mind by one marijuana cigarette in Los Angeles in the 70s. Uh, they got a bad trip and, and it's over, you know. But um, no, you should not. It's not recreational marijuana is not good any more than recreational heroin is good. Recreational morphine is good. However, doctors occasionally use morphine when they're healing people for the time and it's highly controlled. Uh, but that's when it's a medicine. You're not talking about a medicine when you're talking about recreational marijuana. And believe me, I know a lot about this because it was Portland, Oregon, where I live. There are five marijuana stores within five blocks, all with creative names like Electric Lettuce and Cannabis Corner and all these things. Uh, it's not good. And it really it's not like alcohol either. Uh, you know, with alcohol, your body rebels when you drink too much. You get sick, basically. And uh, you only have to do that a few times uh, and, and learn that you have a limit in this regard. Whereas there's no real limits to drugs exactly until you maybe have a bad trip or you, uh, you know, go out. Uh, your mind. Now, I was told, I don't know again much about this, 
that the marijuana people smoke now is much more virulent than in the 70s when it first started. But again, I've seen a lot of kids who became stoners. They come to school stoned out of their mind. And then also I know of a couple of cases where they got a bad trip and they died or they or they they uh, lost their mind for the rest of their life. Um, so I, I would say it's not, it's a sin. And finally, Timothy wants to know, what is the purpose of having two judgments? Oh, well, one judgment is uh, you as an individual in a personal encounter with Christ. When you die, you're judged worthy of heaven or hell. The second judgment, though, has to do with the exaltation of Christ once the number of the elect is filled up, it's what's described in the book of Revelation as the great adoration of the mystical lamb. And what happens there is that that judgment is your inner soul proclaimed to the whole assembled creation. So to the good, their hidden thoughts are exposed. And if people have thought ill of them, they see that they were really, really good, and that leads to their vindication. If you're wicked, there's nothing secret that won't be shot out from the housetops. So if you've been secretly wicked, you know, destroyed people's reputation, the thief, the stealing, and all that, you don't get away with it. Um, now it's proclaimed to the whole assembly creation and it adds to the sufferings of the wicked. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father Brian Milady, producer Michael McCall, call screener Matt Kubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in. Back at it tomorrow with Open Line Friday. Until then, God bless.